Hello, and welcome to episode 20 of the Detours in Music podcast. My name is Laura Ruppel, and I hope you enjoy today's episode with David Cottrell, professor of music industry at James Madison University. My name is David Cottrell. I'm the music industry coordinator at JMU. Been there since 1996. Awesome. Um, Can you talk a little bit about your start in music? Yeah, I actually, when I was in the third grade, my parents were told that I had musical talent because I was living in Germany at the time. My father was in the army and I showed a proclivity for the little pre-band instrument called the Blockflöte, or what we in America call a recorder. Mm-hmm. And I loved that. Band. I played it all the time. I loved it. Uh, and they, they were like, well, okay, you know, and to them, you know, my, you have to understand my father was uh, actually on Normandy Beach on D-Day. He was actually there. I mean, it's, it's a little hard to believe and all, very difficult to comprehend, you know, what he saw and experienced um, as a youth. But they didn't think music was something people did. But they didn't dissuade me or think negatively. They just thought they didn't know what to do. And so every year we would move uh, from one army base to another. And finally, in uh, my dog's going to be barking from time to time. He's got to protect, you know. Um, and so when I was about 13, I, I asked my mother for a guitar. I said, Mom, I want a guitar. She said, why do you want a guitar? She said, and I said, I, I just want to you know, sing and play the guitar. And she goes, you can't sing. <laughs> it turned out she was right. I mean, my voice is okay, but... What she meant was she was told she couldn't sing because, and she always sang like a perfect interval off from everybody. So we had like Christmas carols were like organ them. You know, it was kind of weird. Yeah. But um, I got a guitar anyway, and I started playing that, loved it. And that is when I really sort of started, you know, I just found that I liked all things about music and just started, you know, getting into it. I went to a private school, high school, because I was kind of a, slightly misbehaving youth, nothing bad, but mm-hmm. just kind of disobedient, shall we say. Um, and the band teacher there said, hey, you know, you've got an ability, and I started writing music. And so I started, you know, approaching it from making it happen as opposed to um, seeing, having someone else tell me how to do it. I was writing music right away. Mm-hmm. Um, lots of it really pretty bad. Anything worth doing is worth doing badly. Yeah. <laughs> Um, when did you have the transition in your life of, oh, this is something I want to do for a career, or this is something I want to take a little bit more seriously? Well, interesting. I always, I went to college at a place in Chicago called Concordia Teachers College, which was a teacher's college. It's not a university along with everything else, but, and it was for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, a, a very conservative portion of the Lutheran Church. And so I always wanted to teach. Uh, I love teaching teachers because I moved. I went from the fifth grade to the ninth grade in a different school, you know, uh, because my dad was in the army and we moved. And that's, so school was the one thing that was really, you know, stable for me, ironically. Mm-hmm. Every summer it was oh, time to move, you know. So school was like, oh, we're here. And so I like school, believe it or not. And uh, I, teachers were very, very important in my life. Uh, I, I, I went to high school when I was 13. So really, I kind of grew up away from home, essentially. And teachers were a big part of that. 
Um, and I found myself attracted to both music and physics. Those are the two areas I really, really had great interest in and really wonderful teachers throughout both my high school and college career. So I knew I wanted to teach and uh, I was playing my guitar and I was writing songs and, uh, you know, I just kind of gradually evolved into um, uh, wanting to, uh, I, I veered toward music um, when I was about a sophomore in college. I went to a liberal arts school. We didn't have to audition to go there. I just went as a student. Um, I had very, very high ACT scores, so I got in. And uh, the other dogs are barking now. Um, so I, I just started, you know, playing the, my guitar all the time. I played all the time. Uh, then I joined the band, and I, I said, you know, I, I had played the clarinet in, in, the, in the ninth grade, and I just hated that. I didn't like it. I wasn't good at it. And uh, the, the band director said, hey, you know, you have a good ear. You can play timpani. So I did. I started my band, my instrumental career, really, as a timpanist. Well, I, I, I love doing that. That was so much fun. A timpanist has so much power. And I'll tell you something. It's really easy to play. If you have a good ear, you know, and you can just own the place. Oh, God, I loved it. Um, but all the while, I was learning about how to do things by doing them. Um, uh, I actually wrote happy birthday arrangements for my band director, uh, taking music that the band was playing and adapting it and then playing it for him. And that was kind of fun to do. I just learned about orchestration by doing it, making mistakes. My first time I ever was working with, you know, the, the tuba, I, I said, it's a B flat tuba. You need to transpose it. And I did. And that sounded really terrible. So I knew you don't transpose bass clef, brass instruments. Um, and then uh, I took a class because I was going to be a teacher uh, in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod in brass techniques. And I, you know, you, you learn how to play, but you pick an instrument up and you make an embouchure. And I just, you know, played. And the guy said, have you ever done that before? I said, no, I never. He said, wow, it's really natural for you. It's amazing. And I was like, really? I, I, I didn't know. And so gradually I found myself going toward the French horn, loved it, bought one, started playing it. And after I graduated from, co from college, um, I ended up deciding, you know, I really just want to learn to play the horn. So I, I just uh, started going to another school and gradually ended up with a master's degree doctorate in French horn. Um, uh, all the while still writing songs, so playing my guitar. Um, and um, yeah, I, I mean, there's a lot of stuff. I mean, when I was in college, uh, I, I was writing song, writing, I wrote the music and a friend of mine who's now an Episcopal priest in Canada, um, has been there for many years. He wrote the, the lyrics and I wrote the music to it and uh, the, the, the melody and the harmonies and everything. And, and I, three of those got published in a small little publication. So I had experience with that. It was just kind of, I was just having fun doing that, really, to be honest. And it just evolved. Um, never really a plan, to be honest. I know it's probably not what you want to hear, well, that's exactly but it's true. That's exactly what we want to hear. <laughs> When you were looking for a school for your master's degree in Horn, um, what were some things you were looking for in that school? Yeah, it was not that complicated. I, I had to be an in-state school. Um, I, I went, uh, after I graduated from Concordia, which is a Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod school, I attended a, a Pacific Lutheran University, which is in Tacoma, Washington, which is just about 20 minutes away from where my parents were living at the time in Puyallup. And I went there to study composition because really 
my senior year at, at Concordia, I did a composition recital. I was actually a composition student. I had the band, the band played a piece I wrote. I conducted it. It's really not very good. But, you know, again, anything worth doing is worth doing badly. Um, that's one of the most important things that I hope you get out of this. You don't have to be great at something. Just be good enough. And, 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 but you have to want to do it and love it. And then, and then maybe, maybe the universe tells you that's not for you. And maybe, maybe it is. And you don't know that right away. Um, so, uh, so I went to study with uh, this teacher. Uh, the band director from Concordia had gone the year before to teach band at PLU, Pacific Lutheran University. And, and he said, hey, you ought to come study with this guy. He's a really good composition teacher. So I did. And, uh, but I, I just started playing the horn, was really having fun doing that. I went out, moved out to Tacoma. Uh, to, it's Parkland, Washington, but it's basically PLU. And started studying with this composition teacher. And he was a Milton Babbitt disciple who was into total serialism. And I'm like, you know, I just, I, I don't like that. I, I really, really hate that. In fact, I think it's terrible. And so I talked to the horn teacher out there who was new at the time. I said, hey, Bill, you know, could I be a, a horn major? He said, yeah, you know, you're natural. I said, okay. Within a year, I actually won a contest playing a horn solo with the orchestra and everything. Um, so I transitioned to horn there. And then after that, at PLU, I was there for maybe two years. Then the only school I really thought about going to was the University of Washington because there was a very famous horn teacher who recently has passed named Christopher Luba there. He played principal under Fritz Reiner with Chicago Symphony. And I went to study with him. And it was a very interesting experience because he was a really interesting guy. Yeah. Um, but so that's where I went. And then three years after I entered the University of Washington, I had a master's degree in, in horn performance. Wow. I think for having an instrument come naturally and very quickly, horn is probably the least likely for most people. So, <laughs> Well, you know, it's interesting. Every instrument is the least likely for some people. That's true. And some instruments are, are just, they just fit. Mm-hmm. And the people that are successful are the ones that it fits. I mean, and I could, if I knew how, I could teach you how to play the oboe. But I could not teach you how to be an oboist. Mm-hmm. Those are different things. And that's what we're talking about, really. We're talking about a term that is thrown around all over the place in this university and a lot of universities, which is entrepreneurship. This is one of my real big bugaboos. You can't teach someone to be an entrepreneur. You can teach them little bits and pieces. Either they are or they aren't, or they maybe can form a group of, you know, like I did with my partner, my business partner, or between the two of us, we're an entrepreneur, but neither one of us individually work. And you can't really teach it. You are or you aren't. You can learn that all. I can't make you an oboist, but I could show you fingerings. Then you have to sit down and make that work for yourself. You have to carve the reeds and everything. But part of this whole thing about how you find your path it's your path mm-hmm. and people can point you in a direction, but eventually or really all the time, you've got to be on that path. Imagine this, a person sitting in a car, the car is driving. Now, all of a sudden that person veers to the right for what apparently is no reason. Well, it's because the car turned really hard to the left. Okay. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Doesn't it? Okay. That in the rest frame of the car, that person experience what we call a fictitious force that from inside that car there's no indication why they did that but if you know the whole picture you say oh the car turned left so in in other words when it comes to the rest frame of something 
you, you, if you're observing an outside observer, someone that's in a restaurant, you'd be like, why are they doing what they're doing? That, wow, look at that. But if you understood the whole picture, it would make a lot of sense. Oh, that's why that happened. And so really, you know, there aren't really detours. There's just the path you're on and it's the journey you're on. And every step is the one that, you know, my, my horn teacher, Bill, the guy I talked about was like, what's your five-year plan? What's your five-year plan? I was like, I don't have a five-year plan. Yeah. I just know that right now I like practicing coprosh. I like practicing the horn, you know, since, you know, years, years later, I, I got over that. I had a great career, had a great time playing it and I was really good, but I wasn't great. I was really good though. And being really good is good enough. I went to school with a guy who was the associate principal horn in the Boston Symphony. Been there for 20, Gus has been there for over 20 years. And we, were, we went to school together. And he could always play better than I could in a certain way. He, very accurate, just never missed anything. Um, I always had a bigger sound, but he always was right there. And that pays the bills. I guess another question I would have is, when did music industry um, become your path? Well, okay, here's the deal. You know, I was very fortunate because I was good enough on the horn to be able to be let into a lot of, uh, of the, not really back rooms, but a lot of the venues of the industry. I, I got a chance to play a pre-Broadway show. So I, I played for eight weeks, uh, Crazy For You, at the National Theater. I played principal horn in that. And so I got to see how that worked. I got to see backstage. I've been on stage with, you know, of all people like Johnny Mathis a couple of times and, you know, not that he knows me, but I played horn for him a couple of times at Wolf Trap a couple of different summers. Um, I played in, in the Kirov Ballet, came to tour the United States in the, in the mid eighties. And they did, they did play the Wolf Trap, did um, Swan Lake. I played in that orchestra. I played an HBO special. That's what friends are for with CD wonder and Elton John and Dionne Warwick. I was there for all that stuff, not because I was a star, but because I was good enough to be there. So that's one of my lessons for music majors is practice your instrument and you never know where that's going to lead you. Cause I got a chance to, I was, you know, I was on, you know, live national television playing behind Tony Orlando on the all-star salute to the troops at Andrews air force base. I've been on stage with Ray Charles and Dave Brubeck. I mean, these are people I got to see work and see how they behave. And it was a tremendous education. Yeah. A bunch of Christmas in Washington show, Julie Andrews, you know, Neil Diamond. I mean, I've, seen those people up close and I've never ever asked ever for an autograph because I always just say, Hey, I love what you're doing. It's fantastic. Um, you may not know the name Robert Goulet, but he was, he played the South Pacific. He was a, you know, Lieutenant Cable in South Pacific at uh, Wolf Trap. I was playing in the orchestra and I, I just went down to his, uh, we were there for like a week or two and I went down and said, Hey, look, I just want to tell you, I love what you, how you sound. He goes, really, thanks a lot. You know, really, it's amazing how, how cool, you know, people are not that they're stars but they're very talented and they're really part of the business i also had a chance to play in the kennedy center opera house orchestra um and and national symphony and so i've seen all that side of it and of course i i started a business in 1996 writing music for national geographic and discovery with my friend chris who lives in thailand now i mean <laughs> you never know where these things are going to go and um we were very successful and so Meanwhile, I had been teaching at Shenandoah as the horn professor since 1982. And about 10 years into that, let's say 92, 93, 94, I went to my dean and I said, you know, 
actually in 1986, I got started with MIDI because that was new stuff that was really cool. And I thought, wow, that's amazing. And because I was a songwriter, I always wanted to record my own song. So I started being able to do that. You know, my voice still wasn't as good as it could be, but it was as good as it could be, but just not good enough. I think the term is it was I'd. I think we said it's I'd, and that's what it is. But I recognized that this new technology was changing things so dramatically. I went to the dean at, in about in 1988, and I said, or 87, I don't know, something like that. And I said, this new technology is really changing and going to change industry even more. We should be offering courses in this. And so I was the first coordinator or director of the, what we called the commercial music program at, at Shenandoah back in the late 80s um it's gone now they have a recording music recording technology they call it now but um so i was doing that and and a couple years into that maybe around the early 90s i I went to my dean again and i said you know i've been teaching horn for like 13 years or 12 years whatever and i mean i like doing it i had eight nine ten students some good you know that was good and I, i played in the quintets and i love playing but i said you know I'm, I'd really like to transition more to the commercial side. I, I really find more interest there, you know. Uh, playing the horn is great. Teaching it, I'm just saying the same things to kids all the time. I'm just saying the same thing over and over again. That's flat, that's sharp, that's fast, that's slow. No, don't do it that way. Yeah, that's what it is. And so I um, had, and she said, well, you know, uh, as long as you're here, you're the horn teacher, and that's what you are. I said, okay. And uh a couple years later, the position opened up at JMU, and I, I applied for it, and I got it. I'd already started running my business um, at Control Manga Music, and so that, that was a real nice uh, kind of synchronicity that, that occurred. And so it was, an, it was a, an organic evolution, to be honest with you, but it was all because I was curious, yeah. being curious, wondering, well, what's, what's that? Why does that work that way? Um, what's an example of the, or some of the classes you teach at JMU? Uh, well, I teach survey of the music industry, which is basically a mile wide and inch deep about how the industry works and how it interconnects with the entertainment industry. It's really important to know that because in the old days, um, things were much more bifurcated where you had like, I'm in, I'm, you know, think about the Beatles, for instance. Um, I know they're, they're like old music and that's like Baroque music these days, but when they wrote their music that was pop music, you know, or rock or whatever, and it, it was all, it was over there on that side of the spectrum. And then when you had advertisers writing music, those are called jingles and, you know, plop, plop, fizz, fizz. Oh, what we, that's a jingle, you know? And so never the twain shall meet. And we gradually have seen the erosion of that, that membrane so that now it's all one thing. And it's important to understand that the music industry is part of the overall global entertainment industry, the global, the global media uh, it's only 2% of it. 2% of the global media is music. Uh, but it's a very, very, very important 2%, and it's something the rest of it can't do without. So that's a class I teach. I teach a class in audio devices, how microphones work, how recording systems work. And that's a, that's a complicated and difficult class because it's technical. Not that technical, but I guess it is, you know, looking at how it goes. <laughs> I also teach a class called Logic Pro, which is an Apple digital audio workstation, an Apple Pro app for music production. Um, really a very powerful tool. I teach a course called audio post-production, which is basically, you know, when you have film uh, sound and, and, and web sound, you know, sound that is used for webcasting and films and, and 
you know, other kinds of, even music um, mastering sort of, these are tools that we use to make sound better, I guess. And it's called audio post-production. I'm also the internship coordinator. So I, I sort of supervise, I, mean, I coordinate the internships that the kids have, that the co-curricular activities where they are essentially unpaid employees for various, uh, you know, businesses, but they eventually can hopefully get a job there or then network and, and help get their um, career going. And we've had great success. We have students that are out in Hollywood writing music. We have students that are, we have a former student who's the um, senior vice president at, at uh, Capitol Records. Wow. You know, he was just in my class all those years ago, yeah. Brian. Um, <laughs> nice kid. Um, too busy now to return my calls, but hey, that's what happens. Yeah, it makes sense to me. Um, and so, and as, as the industry changes, it's really, the fun thing about that for me is that I, I have to stay current with what's going on. So I've got to kind of keep up with it. I'm not saying the same things over and over again. So the idea of, you know, teaching French horn 14 years in a row, I'm teaching a class that evolves every year to, to a certain extent. And I, I love that. Definitely. Um, is there some advice that you hear yourself saying all the time to either specifically music industry students or just younger musicians? Well, follow your heart. I know you hear it. You're like, Oh yeah. Right. But it's really true. Um, and it's not, there's not a bright path laid out in front of you. It's a little voice whispering in the back of your head. That's all it is. You've got to listen to it. So how do you hear that voice? Well, you hear that voice by not looking through this all the time. The truth to, of the world is not visible through this kind of thing. Mm -hmm. It's not. <laughs> Take the earbuds out of your ears when you're walking. Let your mind, and, and by the way, I, I, this is advice I wish I could take myself. Let your mind be at peace and at rest as much as possible. And, <laughs> which mine isn't, of course. Um, whose is, really, you know? But you, and don't be afraid to fail. And that, that fail is a funny word. That, that's not really failure. It's just uh, the universe saying, eh, you know, that probably is something you might not want to do. Mm -hmm. And, and they're always, you know, the beauty of, of, first of all, just the way things are. And second of all, this country with all of its problems, and it has a lot of problems, is that there's tremendous amount of opportunity for everybody. They, but they have to show initiative and, and then, and then sort of take that chance and they have to take a chance. You have to risk. And sometimes you'll try something and it won't, it won't work. I really feel every music student should take this class because it's information they all need. It's not limited to music industry students. And here's one of the reasons why and one of the biggest reasons. This country is a country that is a business country. It's, it's more business than a lot, of a, a lot of countries. The way things are done in other countries is quite different and they all have their benefits. They all have their problems. But this country, the business of America is business. And what that means is if you understand business, you'll get it. And if you don't, you won't. And you'll wonder why it's not working out. Mm -hmm. um, for instance, one of, the, one of the things that I think is an implicit, I don't, don't want to say it's a lie, but it's, 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 an, it's a mistruth, if I could use a sort of weird way to say things, is that if you build it, they will come. If you become the very best horn player or oboe player, they'll, they'll be like, hey, can you come play oboe for me? Mm -hmm. It's not like that. And it's not that you just have to network. 
uh, even reluctantly. It's that you have to understand the importance of, of doing it I don't, almost joyfully, almost like, yeah, this is what we do. You've got to understand that. Sitting in the practice room is an important thing, but in the end, meaningless, unless you do it on, on stage, you do it out, you, you learn how to connect with other people. Uh, not just musicians. The musicians are a tiny minority of the population. It's the non-musicians you want to connect with. That's who you have to understand. And that's why if you had taken my class, it's a majority are non-musicians. You can understand kind of their mindset. And you can say, yeah, I, I hang out with non-musicians all the time. You'd be surprised how many people that are non-musicians actually are quite involved with music, maybe not what we call classical, but we don't mean classical, we mean serious concert music, but just music in general. I mean, 93% of the population listen to radio and they hear music and music is a huge part of their life. Do you know, check this out, the major labels last year made a million dollars an hour, an hour streaming, streaming income of a million dollars an hour for major labels. Every hour of every day of every week of every month of the entire year, a million dollars, 24, 7, 365 and a fourth. So what I'm saying is that shows how much interest there is in music. Um, and so now if you want, you want to translate what you do to that, you've got to figure how you can, what you do to the population. That's a really important key. Um, and if you build it, they, they won't come. You've got to build what they want to be in. Um, so another thing I recommend Jeanette Sorrell, she's the, uh, music director of uh, uh, there's a B out here of Apollo's Fire. I, kn I knew Jeanette when she was a kid in at Shenandoah. Her father and I are good friends, and she was just a little girl playing the harpsichord and stuff, and working in her church and stuff. And now she's this Grammy winning, really dynamic group of musicians she's created. Just check out Apollo's Fire. Uh, and she lives in Cleveland, but she's taken Baroque music and early music and even some American music and just made it really approachable. That's what you do anyway, so. Yeah, that's awesome. It's not a destination. I mean, these are all things, these are bromides. You're like, yeah, yeah, he said that. It really isn't. Don't have a plan, just have a passion and, and then let that guide you. Every, you only know where you've been. You don't know where you're going, you don't. And I, people think they do, they just don't. I mean, and, and, and so, you know, it's interesting. There was a really great movie called Dodgeball, which have you seen Dodgeball? Yeah. <laughs> and, and the guy from Friendly Joe's or Average Joe's, whatever it's called, you know, talked about it. He said, you know, I never really had a plan. That way I'm never disappointed. And you know what? That's kind of right. Mm -hmm. um, and the thing is, the only thing you can really see is if you turn backwards, see where you've been, all your footsteps you've taken, where maybe you, you veered slightly from the path and maybe you need to get back on. But you, if you look forward, it's through a mirror darkly, you know, it's in a it's fog. You can't really see where you're going. But if every step you take is the right step, then you're on the right path. And, and you just know it. And, and you have to trust. You know, it's like I tell the class, uh, you know, a guy goes up to a girl and he goes, would you like to go out with me? And she thinks, I'd like to like to go out with you, but I don't. I, I don't want to go out with you. But she has no control over that. She, she would love to. Sure, I'd love to go out with you. I'd love to love to go out with you. But I don't want to. And it's not personal. It's business. It's just, it's je ne sais quoi, you know. You understand the concept. And so don't take this stuff, the business personally. It's business. 
Mm-hmm. So when you when you present an idea to, you know, a, a colleague and they go, eh, okay, all right. And, and it's easy to say, by the way. <laughs> it's kind of hard to do sometimes, especially when you think it's a good idea, mm-hmm. uh, especially when it is. But the point is that that if you can get over the the sense that I failed, be, be brave. And, and, and as Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, sin boldly, just do it. And then, oh, well, I guess that didn't work. And then pick yourself up and move on. Yeah. Um, yeah. Awesome. That's kind of perfect for the goals of the podcast, though, is to show, okay. show people that um, you don't have to have a plan and that you don't have to have all your ducks in a row in order to be happy and have a oh, success. No, I'm, a, I'm a failure. I, 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 when I was in college, I wanted to be the next Paul Simon. And other than not having much hair, that's as close as I got. <laughs> and I tried playing that music and writing songs. I, I got the same kind of guitar he got, a Martin D28. I practiced every song I played. I could finger pick every song Paul Simon could play. But I just, I just, <laughs> just wasn't Paul Simon. So I failed, you know, but I tried. I really tried. <laughs> And the universe said, eh. and so, okay. Um, I didn't take it personally. I just, you know. Yeah. But you still um, had a career you're definitely proud of and excited about. Well, I'm still having a career. I'm still having fun. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I, I have to tell you that I, I still enjoy what I do. Actually, I, I really right now, uh, <laughs> I love teaching. I mean, I've always loved teaching. I mean, maybe the kids don't like it so much, but I do. Mm-hmm. And uh, I love doing it, and I love making a change in their lives. I love seeing them come back and say, hey, you know, look what I'm doing now. And not, not because of me, but it's a team thing. I'm, it's, it's all it, it takes everyone working together. But I love being part of that process. And I think it keeps me kind of youngish. I don't know. But the point is that being of use, being util- having utility in your life, being, seeing a young person come in and say, hey, look, these are things I wish someone had told me when I was your age. And that's kind of what I do for a lot of these students. Like, you know, God, let me tell you some of the mistakes I've made. Don't make them yourself, but, you know, yeah. And uh, go make your own. Make your own mistakes, but don't make mine. And so that, that's, uh, and that's, uh, that's my story, and I'm, I'm sticking to it. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you for being interviewed today. You're welcome. My favorite thing that Professor Cottrell mentioned was don't have a plan, just have a passion and let that guide you. Thank you for listening and keep up with the podcast on the YouTube channel, on my website, laurarupeloboe.weebly.com and on Instagram at Detours and Music Podcast. See you next time.